If you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 5. We're going to dive in. Uh, last week, Leonard, I, I thought, did a fantastic job preaching on the model church. Um, today, I'm going to do the antithesis of that. Um, I'm going to probably teach the passage that uh, the majority of the teaching team was like, no, I don't, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about this. Uh, it's, it's our good friends Ananias and Sapphira. Come on down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or fall on down, maybe. Um, I'm going to read this, and then here's what I'm going to do. is I'm going to try and unpack it um, in the time remaining. And I want you to see, uh, in kind of contextually, I want you to see. I want you to be able to understand what's really, really happening. Because if you read it, you're like, you could have a little bit of a shock value. And there is a little bit of that in this. But I want you to kind of understand a greater kind of Eastern eyes understanding of the story. So Acts chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles in the pews. If you have a smartphone, you can pull it up at BibleGateway.com. But I'll read it, and it says this, verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? That is, a, that is an important question. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out also. What is going on? At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these things. All right, can we just name one reality? This is intense. Um, number one, I'm not Peter. Number two, there's not four young men standing outside those doors. And I'm not going to be asking any of you about your giving. Okay, so let's, let's, let's just get that out of the way. But what's going on? What is really going on? And, and I actually think there are four ways to really look at this text in a way that I think can help us understand some cultural kind of background context that will give us some insight to go, oh, 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 this isn't about that. It's more about this, which takes us back to the Hebrew Scriptures. And if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Exit, or Exodus, which literally means exit. And, and what, what I love about Exodus is in chapter 25, 
is you see all of these instructions for a Hebrew nation who's moving from a place out of slavery and they're trying to walk towards this promised land. And and I, I see this as really, really important to understand the Ananias and Sapphira story. So this is this in verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I show you. So basically, there was this moment where the Hebrew nation, former slaves, are moving towards the promised land. They're walking in the wild. They're walking in the desert. And God's trying to remind them, hey, hey, remember, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm nothing like Pharaoh. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. So they create this tabernacle. And whenever there's this fire that moves, then all of a sudden they just follow this cloud. And then they, they, they set up the tabernacle. They take it down. They set it up. They take it down. And God is there. But... Many of us have grown up, maybe in youth ministry, maybe in teaching, and and we've heard heard this said, don't put God in a box. Anyone ever heard that? Don't put God in a box. There's mainly saying, don't like make God so small. And, and, And I think there's some truth there, but what's amazing is in Exodus 25, God puts himself in a box. And it's called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of God was in this box. And it was commanded throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, is if you looked at this box, if you opened it up and you looked at the holiness of God, you were dead. It was so holy, it was so other, it was just so... And so they would end up carrying this box and they would, they would like, it would usher in and this box was symbolic that God's presence is with us. God's power is with us. But if you think about Exodus 25... I want you to build this sanctuary. I want you to build this tabernacle. I'm going to come dwell with you. And there's going to be this box of the presence of God. Now, if you think about the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And the fear of the Lord is sometimes when we're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. But it meant the reverence of God. The holiness of God. The powerful reality of God. There was this phrase that they would say is Yerat Yahweh, which was the fear of the Lord. And again, I I say this often, but I think for many of us, we've lost the fear of the Lord. We've lost the reverence of the Lord. And from the jump of the church, you have this moment where all of a sudden, I don't think you can understand what happens to Ananias and Sapphira without understanding the Ark of the Covenant. Without understanding that God was saying, I am dwelling with the bride. We just sang it. Mi Dios. Así eres tú. God, you are here. You are here. You're in this presence. You're in this place. In the beginning of this, this church in the book of Acts. And it's beginning to spread. And all of a sudden you have this moment where people begin to start to forget about the fear of the Lord. And when you forget about the holiness of God, when you start to show up without an expectancy that God might speak to you or might show you or teach you or convict you or humble you or remind you or invite you into a place of repentance or spiritual formation, when you just start going through it, then all of a sudden, 
there's something about us just going through the motions. And I, I can say for many, many years, that's just what I did. I just went to church that I was supposed to. I went to church. I, I didn't know really what was going on. But something began to shift when I began to recognize, oh, oh, this understanding. Yes, the church is a place of grace, but yes, it's also a place of your Yahweh. There's something that happens here. But oftentimes you can walk into church spaces and you can start to kind of posture. And you can start to pretend. And you can act like your marriage is perfect. And you can act like you, you got all your finances in order. And you can act like you don't have any addiction. You can act like everything's okay. And little by little, it, it ends up going the way of Ananias and Sapphira. I really believe that this should be the safest place. And unfortunately for many of us, it wasn't. But the church ought to be the safest place for someone to be honest and human with what they're struggling with, with honest and human with what they're wrestling with, honest and human with who they actually fully are. And part of that is hard. And if they can't find a safe space here, then where do they go? The streets? Where do they go? Online? Where do they go? Into hiding? Where do they go? And the, the, the truth is, when we as a church can walk into this space and recognize, oh, you have tabernacled with us. You have created a sanctuary, a cathedral, where you are here with us. But the truth is, he's not just here in this building. He's in the marketplace. But this is the practice and the shaping and forming to help us understand Oh, I expect him in this place. I can also expect him in my home. And I can also expect him and understand Yerat Yahweh wherever I go. Does this make sense? And Ananias and Sapphira thought, oh, no, it's, I'm, I'm giving something. Let's take it a little bit farther. Um, the book of Luke and Acts was written by one man, about one man, for one man. You've heard me say this in the beginning of the, of the series. It was written by Luke about one man, Jesus. And when you get to the book of Acts, Acts is about not just one man, Jesus, but it was also about one spirit, the Holy Spirit, and also about one church that was spreading for one man, Theophilus. Now, what did Luke do? What was his profession? Anyone know? He's a doctor. Um, do doctors make good money? Yes. Okay, so, so Luke is a wealthy man. We can make that statement pretty confidently Theophilus is also a man of influence most excellent Theophilus that we see in the beginning of Luke in the beginning of Acts is a phrase that you would say to someone who had profound influence and worth and so you could literally say Luke and Acts was written by one wealthy man about one poor man for another wealthy man and when you actually begin to dive into the book of Luke, and if you read through it with us, Luke talks about money more than any other gospel. So the question is why? Oh, because he's writing to a wealthy man. You look at chapter 1 with Mary. You see John three with, or Luke 3 with, with John the Baptist. You could just keep going through and flipping the pages, flipping the pages. And here is the truth of what Luke is trying to write to a friend, Theophilus. There is a right way to handle your money and there is a wrong way. 
There is a way in which your money can behave, and there is a way in which your money can make you misbehave. And oftentimes in Luke and in Acts, you will see a story about money, and you will see a passage where it's like, here's how you do it right, and here's how you don't. Go back with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, you see something pretty profound. Right in the first two verses, you got Ananias together with his wife, Sapphira. And here's the word, also sold a piece of property. Also. So last week we learned about the model church. You go up to Acts 4, verse 36. And it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, bless you, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So, so again, we have chapters in our Bibles. We have verses. They didn't. They had scrolls. And then we just read the scroll. So if you read this with Eastern eyes, you have a perfect example. Here is a way at which you see the embodiment of a practice that was central to the first church. And then I'm going to show you, Theophilus, another example. Another example that I think we all, with means, I think we all, in a performative culture, can struggle with. And when I begin to understand that Luke isn't just writing this to us in Elgin, he's writing it to Theophilus, all of a sudden I can begin to see that there's a caution to this. Who will you be? Are you going to be more like Barnabas, who encourages the church, or are you going to be more like Ananias and Sapphira? But what's really the issue? If Luke is writing this to Theophilus, what is, what is Luke really getting at? He's not trying to, to get at the, uh, Ananias and Sapphira that they didn't have some sense of generosity. But it's something that I think frustrates us if you're someone who's on social media a lot. And it's called virtue signaling or humble brag. Or some way where you can kind of um, make yourself seem like you're an expert in an area or that you actually fully embody this when actually you don't. And sometimes it's easier to virtue signal than actually speak from a place of character. Sometimes it's easy to transfer information than actually speak from a transformed place. And what you see with Ananias and Sapphira is they actually want to give. They sell a piece of property. They want to give. The problem is they make it seem like they're just like Barnabas giving the full amount when in reality is they're holding back but pretending to give. And real talk, do you ever struggle with that? Do you ever struggle with the sense of like, man, I, I probably should be good at this. I, I should actually do this. And so, so sometimes it's easy like, oh, you know, I'm going to put on Instagram that I'm like about this. But like I actually haven't read anything about this issue. I'm going to like actually be someone who like talks about this, but actually I never even spent time with this group of people. Like I, I'm actually going to do, like they can get into this case of trying to virtue signal that, oh, I'm just as good as those people, but I've skipped a bunch of steps. 
And this day and age, I, I think we see it happen a lot. And I think Luke is trying to say, like, hey, this isn't about how much you give. It's actually being someone of full integration that actually when you say you're going to give this or when you say that you're going to do this or you're going to say that you're going to act in this, say what you mean and mean what you say. Because what that does is it builds trust. And when you have a breakdown in trust and especially trust with God and trust with the community and trust with Yerat Yahweh right from the jump of the text, then all of a sudden some massive fractures can happen and it won't be a safe place. And I think this is really what the story is about. That Luke's trying to say, hey, Theophilus, if you're going to go on this journey with Jesus, you are a person of means, just like every one of us in this room for the most part. You have stuff. But don't ever act like just because you gave this, you're better. But whatever you decide to give, give that. But don't pretend that you've given more. Just be honest. Be honest with where you're at. Be honest with, like, the reservations you have. It would have been such a different story if Ananias and Sapphira were like, hey, we sold this, we made $100,000, and I, I want to give 100000 but that's a lot of money to give. Can I just give 80000 I think they would have been like, yeah, that's great. I get it. But let's talk about the other 20000 What is that about? But it's the pretending. It's the performing it's, a, it's the seeing and trying to make yourself seem like you have it all together when we just don't. And what I love about this community is I think we're actually really honest that none of us have it all together. And if you've ever seen Ruth Bell Graham's tombstone, anyone ever seen it? It's amazing. It just says, construction completed. Thanks for your patience. And, and what if we lived like that? What if we actually walked in the sense of the church and we're like, man, God, I, I actually believe you have something for me. I haven't arrived. I'm still just being shaped. I'm still being formed. I, I got a long way to go when it comes to my addictions, when it comes to my pride, when it comes to my trauma, when it comes to my money, when it comes to my formation, when it comes to all of that. I just, what have you invited me to step into today? Little by little. With profound grace and profound truth, you're at Yahweh, little by little, honest, reflecting back to what God is doing in you. But I don't think that's just it. Because I think that there's something in us, every one of us, that I think that Luke's trying to get at to Theophilus. And I'm going to jump to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And what I love about 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll spend a moment here and then we'll, we'll kind of receive communion together. But 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you have Paul writing to the Macedonian church, or writing about the Macedonian church to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was a wealthy church. Corinth was a wealthy city. People went to Corinth all the time because of the textiles, the art, the culture, the, the kind of style, the, the vibe, the, the, the party, the scene. It, it was a very vibey place. But Macedonia wasn't. And in the Philippian letter, that, that, that was a church that was in Macedonia. 
And when Paul writes, man, I've, I've learned the secret of being content. When I have much, when I have little, I've learned that secret. Corinth really hadn't. And so when you read in chapter 8, verse 1, 2 Corinthians, you see, you see that this church, this church is really struggling. This church in, in Macedonia, they just experienced like profound natural disaster. And Paul is giving them a pass to give. And they get ticked at Paul and they're like, what are you talking about? You're not going to let us give? How dare you? We want to give. We want to help. Let us help. And Paul's so moved by that and their generosity that he actually goes to the Corinth and goes, they have nothing, but they go so deep with Jesus and you have so much. Do you go deep with Jesus? And what's amazing is then you get to chapter 9. And this is what we'll just read on. Chapter 9, 2 Corinthians. Small little black Bible. This is this, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And what you see in this passage is, hey, there's a sense of Theophilus, like, I think what Luke is getting at is you're going to have a chance to give. But don't, don't make it performance. You see Jesus write about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't, don't, don't actually like, oh, I'm, I'm so much more because I give this amount. And we've all seen that happen. Well, they, they give more so they have more of influence. In the no. The truth is we all have to make that decision in our heart. This is what I'm able to give, and this is what I choose. And this is what I feel God is stretching me or God is instructing me or God is guiding me. And all of that... All of your giving, whether it's time, whether it's talent, whether treasure, is all connected either in the should, which was Ananias and Sapphira. I probably should do this, but I don't fully trust it. I don't fully understand it. Or it's connected to your understanding of the death, burial, and resurrection. And when you can understand what God gave generously and graciously to you when you did not deserve and everything that you have is a gift, and everywhere you go, he is with you, and every present that you have is a present from above. Everything, when you begin to recognize time, talent, treasure in that way, it changes everything. If it's just should, it's just religion. And it's in that moment that you're going to try and posture, virtue signal, but what if we were a community that was, we're all on this journey of being shaped and formed. We're all on this journey of being stretched. We're all on this journey of just being honest and human. Some of us with our addiction, some of our bitterness, some of our sadness, some of some our, our finances, some of our gifts, some of the, the talent in this room is just off the charts, but learning to step into it. Some of you are going to taste success in the coming months that you've never, ever dreamed about because you're so freakishly talented. And some of you are going to go through a hard season. But in that, what if we could just be honest about that? 
but constantly be going, God, this is what I'm able to decide. I don't want to be out of should, and I don't want to be out of pressure, and I don't want to be out of posture or virtue signaling and performing. I just want to recognize this is what I'm asked to give. And then I want to give it with such sense of cheer. Every church that I've ever been a part of, I started this in Grand Rapids at Mars Hill, um, did it at a church in California, Rock Harbor, did it down the road, um, that whenever, whenever we would talk about giving, I would just have the whole audience cheer. And, and for me, it was like I needed to be reminded, oh, yeah, yeah, this isn't the should. This is literally about us just having a joy. I get to. I get to. Not performing. I get out of a response of my understanding. And I think for us, there's something about that when we get this sense to go, whether with my time, whether with my talent, whether with my tr- whatever it is, man, I've made this decision with my time with God, the time with the Spirit, with my understanding of the Word. This is with my understanding where my life is at. This is what I can do. And I can do it honestly, generously, graciously. And I can cheer about it because it's my act of worship. So um, next week, whoever's doing the generosity moment, can you all just cheer and just when the baskets are passed? Because freak that person out, whoever's leading uh, the generosity moment. But that's it's also, it's like we clap after a song and we get to respond. We get to do this. And I think when we get that, it changes. It changes the way that we see what generosity is all about. Which brings us back to the last part. If you have the elements that are at the row, um, would you receive one of those and pass it down? Um, Oftentimes people think about generosity or talking about generosity is the hardest thing in the church. Um, I don't think it's the hardest thing in the church. I think uh, one of the hardest things in the church are, are knowing how to open these. <laughs> um, make sure you get just the, the, the top one um, with that luscious piece of, of focaccia bread. Um, but I want, you, I want you, before we dive into this, I want you to think about this. Because really when, when you think about communion, there is a common unity. There's a common mission. When, when, when you actually think about communion, some traditions call it Eucharist, it's, it's what, what level of response does a gift that you didn't deserve bring forth? Eucharist is actually a way of saying, thanks be to God. Communion is the sense of thanks be to God because I can't save myself. I've tried. It doesn't work. Communion is a moment where you don't take it, you receive the gift, and all you can literally say is, thanks be to God. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to pretend I don't have to perform. I don't have to people, please. I don't have to power up or power down. I can just receive. And Christ, as he was preparing for the cross, gathered the Talmudim, the disciples, people like you and me, and he took the most common meal and said, this will be a picture of a common unity that we as a people can receive together he was about to go to the cross to have his body beaten, mocked, jeered, 
blood pouring out. But he said, this was a way in which you can always remember that you and me, you and we are one. Let us receive and eat. And then he grabbed a cup and the cup represented a new covenant. The disciples would have thought this was a covenant of judgment. That's how the, the, the Jewish meal would have gone. But he grabs another cup and he says, no, 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 this will be symbolic, not of judgment, but of covenant. Leonard says this word often in meetings, has said, it's God's loving kindness, this new covenant that you will be able to walk in step with me. Not letting the past, the shame, not letting the worry, the anxiety, but every time you hold this cup, you will remember the common unity that me and we, that we and we have in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This is what is offered to you. You're not saving yourself. You are being reminded that you are freed from and freed to a life with the one true Savior. Let's drink. And so, God, I pray, I pray over my friends that none of church would be routine and ritualistic, that would be religion, but it would be centered and grounded in relationship and the relationship that you sent your one and only son to come, to walk, to die, to show us how to live so that we can have and be a person who is rescued, saved, renewed, restored. God, for so many years, I chased and I ran and I performed and I tried to achieve and tried to win myself into grace. And it wasn't until I learned what surrender and just receiving it was all about that everything changed. And at that moment, at that exhale, that's when the sense of Eucharist, thanks be to God, overtakes every should, overtakes every performative action, overtakes every moment of pleasing or pretending, and it just allows me to be honest and human with the areas of my life that still need rescuing, the struggles that still need to be freed from, but also the sacrifice and the growing of formation and trust that I've been freed to. God, I pray in every area, our time, our talent, our treasures, we would not go the way of Ananias and Sapphira, but we would be the sons and daughters of encouragement to a world to a city, to a people who desperately need to experience what your grace and your peace is truly all about. And with that, all God's people said, amen, 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 amen. That's Ananias and Sapphira in 29 minutes. Now, uh, if some of you, some of you want to learn more about our church, you heard uh, Steve and Tim like, talk about, hey, Leonard Davis is going to be right there. Some of you are like, I don't want to go to Discover. I just want to know what's behind that door. <laughs> I'm telling you, behind door number two, is a blue room where you can go and discover what this church is all about. But friends, join us next weekend. I'm so excited. Please be reading with us chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. And get ready. Come expectant because God is here. Or better said, mi Dios, así eres tú. There we go. Yes, yes. Grace and peace.